This week on Montreal Hockey Now, you have the legend Scotty Bowman talking to Murph and Marco about the Montreal Canadiens. Now, let's start the show. And welcome to another edition of Montreal Hockey Now podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Murphy, my co-host, Marco D'Amico, and a very, very special guest joining us today, legendary Montreal Canadiens and NHL coach, Hall of Famer, Scotty Bowman joining us. Scotty, how are you? Pretty good today. Thank you, Jim. Good to have you, my friend. And uh, Scotty, let's get right into it. I mean, obviously the big news around the Montreal Canadiens right now, and sad news it is, is the passing of Guy Lafleur. And uh, you knew him very well, and I uh, had the pleasure of coaching him. And I, you know, I've heard you talk on a couple shows since his passing. But if you wouldn't mind, just talk to us not just about, you know, the player that you got to know, but also the person. Well, yeah, it was. <laughs> I don't think it'll ever happen again, but you never know. Coming in, coming in when he did from Quebec City as a junior, uh, Canadians winning the winning the Stanley Cup uh, on a big upset, as you know, with both Boston and Chicago in 1971, and and with the retirement of Jean Beliveau, um, you know, and Guy, Guy, that was Guy's hero growing up uh, as a youngster in Quebec. He he grew up not far from. From Ottawa, but in the on the Quebec side, Thurston, and uh, uh, you know Milltown, and uh, played played all the youth hockey. He was, I mean, I think he and Marcel Dion were the same age, and they they were both uh, rivals all the way up uh, in youth hockey. They played a couple of uh, the big Pee Wee tournaments were huge in in Quebec City. That's that would be the first time the Quebec City people ever saw him. And then of course he went with the Rompars and. Uh, Marcel went to Ontario. I think I think it was that agent, agent Alan Eagleson that uh, got him out of out of Drummondville, Quebec, and moved him to St. Catharines. But they were rivals, and uh, it was a lot of pressure on Guy to come in. And he was a centerman in junior, although he did play some some wing, but he was mainly a centerman. I think his last year he scored 130 goals, uh, which was a record until Mario scored three more, but. <laughs> they Mario Lemieux, but uh, it was a lot of pressure, and he handled it as well as he could. Uh, he wasn't a media darling at the beginning. Uh, he didn't. He was quiet. He always was quiet, and uh, you know he he had three years of learning how to play, and uh, the team was getting better, and they won the cup in his second year, and then Ken Dryden left in his th- his B- B- geese uh, third season, and. Uh, uh, team that's when he started to flourish i think and also the fact that uh, montreal drafted uh, steve shut uh, an early pick in, on another team's pick again uh, we're getting picks from other teams in those years and steve came in 73 bob gainey came in 70 and uh, no 72 for steve then bob gainey came in 73. i don't think he got in in with uh, playing a regular with steve uh, steve didn't play much the first year and then he took, then he took off, and he played with Guy I, I, all my uh, uh, for the last five years with Montreal from '73 to '79, '78, '79. Um, they played together. I don't I don't recall. Uh, we moved a, a little bit on the center ice. Uh, Pete Mahovlich was the center for a while, but then we settled with Jacques Lemaire. And uh, I don't know if Guy ever had another different left winger than uh, Steve Shutt. The odd time he might have played late in the game with Bob Gainey, but not very often. 
And uh, I read somewhere where Bob Gainey said he had a good seat watching Guy Lafleur because he never played with him. He said 90, 99% of the time he was sitting on the bench watching uh, all the magic. But uh, you know, he had those he had those banner six years with more than 100 points, always scoring over 50 goals. So that was something. That's great. Yeah, you know, I think it was, I know, it was, it was Bob Gainey, I think, uh, Scotty. I heard him talking with our friend Mitch Melnick uh, Friday after he passed. And he mentioned Shut, and he said, you know, Shut ended up really being sort of kind of a mentor, but more of a really good friend, the good ally that he needed going through those times and, and, and trying to find the way to sort of blossom and come out of his shell, both as a player and a person. So he, he felt like Shut was very influential on him. Did you see that too? Oh yeah, they. Um, I mean, they. We had the three, three uh, all Hall of Fame defensemen at the same time. So um, teams had a tough time with both Steve and Guy. They would, they would, they had good anticipation. We had, of course, those defensemen, the points of Arden Robinson. They could put it on your stick, and they they blew the zone an awful lot and put a lot of pressure. The other team's defense had to pull out. We didn't have. We had the center line at that time to protect a little bit, but they, I, I can not count how many times I can recall you look up and the puck's coming over the blue line and it's either on one side or the other and there's a two-on-one or a two-on-two or a three-on-two. Yeah. And I don't, I don't have the records to know how many goals. I think the most unique part of, of Guy Lafleur, there's a lot of Hall of Fame players uh, that are, are they're not one trick ponies, but they're, they're either great goal scorers or they're, or they're uh, great uh, playmakers. Uh, there's a few, well, you have the great one in, in Boston, Bobby Orr, who, when he came up, uh, the same thing, I, I was at that, uh, that was my time. And oh. they said, well, you know, he's going to be, I don't know if he can play defense. He may have to play forward, but he, he was a, you know, he was a playmaker and he was also a goal scorer, you know. And Guy was the same way. If he had to put the puck in the net, that was his strong suit with all those goals. But he also made a lot of plays. And uh, um, that, that's what I remember about him is that uh, most of the teams defended those kind of players with defensive type players. So, you know, we, we had a team that could play offense and defense naturally. So I, I think another thing they could mention with fellas like Guy or even Mike Bossy, who passed away a couple of weeks ago, that um, they were, we were four-line teams. We didn't play just three lines. We, uh, Guy was a right winger on one line, and, and in the first three or four or five years, Ivan Cornway was right in his prime. He was a right winger. So that was a, that was the two two different scoring lines, and then we had two checking lines. We we had uh, Bob Gainey and Doug Jarvis and fellas like Rejahul or Jim Roberts, and then we had another line that was more more defense than offense, but they they were hardworking, uh, rise grow along better problem. So what I'm saying is, I don't think he had the ice time that some players today might get. You you know they get these generation type players now. They're playing 22, 23 minutes in big games uh, forwards because the teams don't have four lines to play regular. I mean, some of the good teams maybe could do it, but it's a lot of three-line teams. But those players like Bossy and, and Lafleur that were on those 
teams that won four times in a row, uh, both of them, uh, they they didn't get, uh, I don't know, I never had a clock on the players, but I don't think they played um, 20, 20, 20 plus minutes. I think they were in the, wow. in the high, high, that's what I think. And uh, they didn't play defense a lot because, and those teams won a lot. So when you're winning, you're protecting the lead. And uh, they didn't have to go out there maybe and, and, and do any checking. The other teams always wanted to play. Boston had a great, um, and that's what caused that whole confusion in 79. Uh, they had a great checker. Uh, I think one of the best, Donald Marcotte. Oh, yeah. I had a good one. In, I had a very good one in um, Buffalo after I left Montreal. Bob Ganey was, was a cream of the crop, but uh, Craig Ramsey was a great left yes. winger. And really I know even when, yeah, he, he was a good checker. And uh, so, you know, those those players, uh, th that's the type of players they have to play against most of the time. Usually they drew the best defense pair. If a team had a strong defense pair, they'd be out against Lafleur's or Bossies and those kind of players. So, so their 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 stats are not padded. They had they had to earn them. They that's they amazing. played against good defense and they played against checking forwards. You know, so yeah. That, that's what I always remembered about them. And, and, and of course, uh, you know, Lafleur and Shutt, um, I know Steve, I know I always remember this, but Steve Shutt, when he started, he didn't play much the first year. Mm -hmm. Second year, he scored 15 goals. Second, really? Third year, he scored uh, th 30. And then he went to 45, and then he went to 60. Wow. <laughs> he, he went, he must have been counting them, but. Yeah. Uh, he went every year for four straight years, a gain of 15. But of course, Lafleur was right there with him, and Steve was good around the net. He could, he was great at tip pucks in, but he also he could do one timers, uh, not the same as they are today. But he the pass across, and it's 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 in the net, you know. Yep, Marco. Yeah, I mean, uh, wow, this is such a wealth of knowledge. Um, you know, I, I love hearing of the stories about how he came into the league and obviously, um, you know, how the team developed because it obviously became an, an all-star team, Hall of Fame team. Um, could you maybe speak to us more about, you know, your favorite memories of him maybe in the room or, or behind the scenes, something that maybe we we wouldn't already uh, we know because we've, we've heard so many of these stories of, of him well, know, he with liked, his teammates. He really, the thing he enjoyed the most after, I mean, I don't know what year it would be, but uh, maybe after he got going, um, as everyone knows, uh, I had, I had, I just remember like most fans would do. Uh, he was struggling the first year or two, and I thought it was the first year, but some people said it was the second or third, but he took off his helmet. And that was a different type. I mean, then you, there was a lot of players in the league that didn't wear helmets in the seventies. And uh, when you put a helmet on, you, not that you're a target, but people thought you would be, but it didn't work out for Guy. I don't know the reason I had nothing to do with it, but he started to play without his helmet. And that uh, maybe it was a coincidence, but then he started to really uh, produce like everybody uh, expected him to, but he, he really enjoyed the thing he enjoyed the most. Um, he used to want to go on the ice. If we had an 11 o'clock practice, he wanted to go on no later than 20 to 11. Not many players would start before 11. He'd go on sometimes at 10.30, just on the ice alone, mm -hmm. uh, put his equipment on. He's always in the rink early, put his equipment on, go on the ice, 
and just skate around, take shots, uh, go end to end um, uh, individually. It must have been pretty boring, but he did. Yeah. And, uh, and then as soon as the practice was over, he's gone. I mean, he, you could just about set a, a stopwatch. He'd be in the dressing room, uh, no, no fooling around. Uh, into, I don't know where he was going, but he wasn't <laughs> hanging around. And he didn't hang around the rink. But he used to like to go to the rink early, 3 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 2.30, 8 o'clock games, I guess, or 7.30, I don't know, 8 o'clock, 8.30. And that's what I remember is, uh, you know, if you didn't catch him in five minutes after the practice was over, if you wanted to do something. So I would always get there and if I, I didn't have to do very much, but when I was going to talk to him or talk to the team, I would always do it way before the practice. But... He was always going somewhere. He's always uh, leaving the building and uh, on his way. You know, uh, I don't know what he. I didn't uh, worry where he was doing, but uh, that's what that was. Uh, that was a ritual with uh, with Gee. Creature habit. A lot of the good ones are right. I mean, um, you know, one thing obviously that was has been talked about so much and rightfully so is how, how wonderful uh an ambassador he became of the team of the of the game and, and all the things he would do within the community i mean for so many stories i've heard lately he never said no to an autograph from everything i hear when did you notice you mentioned earlier about how the first few years were tough for him with all the expectations and everything but when did you notice he outside of the ring start to sort of come out of his shell was it in that fourth or fifth year i think it was a um... Maybe around the seventh, nineteen seventy-six, because that was okay. the start of the four cups in a row. When we played Philadelphia, they had won the cup, as you know, in seventy-four, uh, beating Buffalo, and seventy-five beating Boston, and uh, they were going for a three in a row, and and they were a tough out. I mean, they were the games were close. We we did win four in a row, but they were all except for the last game. I think it was a, a two-goal game. The other games were, were the first two in Montreal were, I think, three to two and uh, tough games, too, because we, we had some good, tough players, but they were the toughest team in the league. And, and I think they had a lot of respect for, for the skill of Montreal because they didn't they didn't pile on. We did have a I'm not sure of the year it might have been 73 or 74. Uh -huh. It was a big brawl. It was a bit we, we used to play. I do remember these stories, but. Uh, Claude Ruel was my assistant, and they came into Montreal. We used to, uh, you know, as a coach, you don't have any say in, in who you're going to play preseason games, and Claude right. and I would always be talking back and forth, why do we have to play Philadelphia home and home in, in the training camp? And, uh, of course, they, it was business, uh, you know, big business thing for both teams, but uh, preseason games. And they came into Montreal one Saturday night. We were going to play Saturday at home, Sunday in Montreal. And they came in with a lot of, of tough, they had tough players all the way through their system. And they came in and they started all kinds of fights. And we, we put a pretty good team on the ice. And uh, I remember Claude Ruel saying to me, you know, we got this thing all wrong. I mean, why, why should we play our good players and make them exposed to having to fight all the time? And then so the next night we went to Philadelphia it was a, the, the Saturday night game was very, very, a lot of fights. We went to Philadelphia, and I don't remember all the guys' names, but I do know uh, we had guys like uh, Gilles Lupien, who later played a little bit. Oh, yeah. Glenn, Glenn Goldup, 
We had a guy named Sean Shanahan. We anybody that could play tough hockey, we put in the lineup. Called him up. <laughs> we went to Philadelphia. I don't I don't remember everything about it. I think the game didn't finish, but we what? had a brawl. We had a brawl for the eighth. No, we had a brawl, a real brawl. I do remember wow. some of I knew I knew some of the things because this one player, Sean Shanahan, he played on our minor league team in, in Nova Scotia. He could he was a slugger. I mean, he was one of those tough, tough guys. And I knew one of the players on Philadelphia because when I coached in junior ten years earlier in Peterborough, Gary Dornhofer was playing junior oh, yeah. for the Bruins farm team. And, and he came up as a Bruin, but then he got drafted by Philadelphia in one of those drafts. And and Sean Shanahan had a neck hold on on, on Gary Dornhofer right at our bench. And Gary looked up and saw me, and uh, he said, "Scotty, would you get this guy off me?" <laughs> and, I mean, and and you know, it's it's uh, I don't know why it happened, but from that game on, we we never. Uh, when Montreal played Philadelphia, that would be in 74, 75, for the next five years, we, we, we played our game and they played, they didn't try to do any, with was hockey. I mean, yeah. no, we, we had no, no brawls or, uh, I don't remember every game, but that's a true story that, uh, you know, they didn't go after Lafleur and, and we didn't go after their guys, but we played hockey and we had, we had uh, at that time uh, no intimidation factor in the game, and that's probably one of the things that led us to be able to knock them off. Yeah, Marco. I mean, you know, again, listening to these stories, I'm just kind of like lost in in, in the awe of it all. Um, I think one of the one of the things we realized on on Sunday was how the memory of Gila Fleur kind of transcended generations. Like, for example, uh, I wasn't born when Guy Lafleur was, was playing. So everything sure. that I learned was passed down, uh, a lot of old tapes that I watched with my dad. Um, and so I just, I guess, wanted to talk about, you know, after his hockey career, and I guess uh, your um, your take on, on how he was able to become kind of a cultural icon for the, for, for the province of Quebec and the city of Montreal. Well, we, we know that he retired fairly young the first time, because yeah. he was only 33. And he retired in '83 or '84, and uh, and and when he retired, he he still liked to play, and he joined he joined these these legend. There was a lot of, a lot of ex players played these legend games, and yeah. it seemed that he played everywhere. He was always going with. He enjoyed that part, and and then of course he made the comeback three years later when uh, I read about it. I didn't know about it at the time. Phil Esposito and uh, their coach. Uh, from Montreal, uh, was it Guy Berger, uh, not Guy, but uh, Michel Bergeron. They, yeah. they, they came to Montreal and convinced them to make a, re a, a return. He sat out three years and he, I mean, I was looking at his, I don't remember a lot about it at that time because I hadn't, I'd left Montreal in 79. So uh, he scored eight, I think he scored 18 goals twice for the Rangers and 60 points or so. With a, with a, not a strong, very strong team, I don't think. And then he went and played two years in Quebec City. So, you know, that's where he started. And then he, and then he made a lot of, he was always traveling. Well, he ended up, I didn't know him at this time because I was gone, but he ended up getting his helicopter license in, in Montreal, uh, in Quebec. Wow. 
uh, about Guy that that's when they started to find his health issues. He was trying to get his renewal of his helicopter license. And I saw pictures the other day. I, I had driven to uh, Claude Ruel's funeral maybe about 10 years ago. I had driven to Sherbrooke, Quebec, where Claude ended up living. And Guy uh, flew a helicopter. There was a, a three or four of his ex-teammates, Guy Lapointe, Larry Robinson, Yvonne Lambert, they flew in the helicopter to Sherbrooke. So he was quite active in the helicopter, but he went for a, a, a medical on a renewal of the license. That might have been three or four years ago, and that's when they found the uh, that he needed the the uh, heart surgery. Yeah. And then, and of course, we know later on they found out this uh, terrible cancer. But no, he he um, he transcended through Canada. Um, I don't think he turned down very many. He loved to go and, and meet people, and uh, you know, he, when I had him as a player. He was as quiet a player as he ever had. He was not, never in the limelight. And he had more in the limelight after he retired. It's, it's mm -hmm. kind of a very odd thing. Yeah. It's, you know, I grew up, I got into hockey through my grandfather. And he he had season tickets in the old Boston Gardens, the Bruins games, and take me all the time. And obviously, he instilled the hate for Montreal Canadiens in me at a very young age. <laughs> this is our rival. You don't like them. But there's only one guy you can like. And it was Guy Lafleur, and he's. And I said, "Why is that?" He goes, "Because he's pure class." And you know, as I as I got older, and my grandfather passed, I don't know, thousand one, so he never really saw me get into this business. So when I got into the business, and I'm sure you remember this name, Scotty. I I was lucky enough to kind of have Russ Conway took oh, me I under. Know Russ. I knew Russ. Yeah. A long time. Yeah. So Russ took me under his wing and kind of was my mentor and. I'll never forget, you know, Russ, uh, Russ used to get a place in Hampton Beach every summer, you know, and he would race the cars in New Hampshire there, and then he was always on the beach. Always had a different girlfriend. <laughs> that was Russ. But um, I just remember one time he says, hey, Jimmy, what are you doing? I was, you know, I was down in my place in Boston, so it's about an hour south of Hampton Beach. Come on up. I want you to meet somebody and go for a few beers. And it was Lou Lafleur. And uh, I just went into this small little dive bar. We were in the corner. There was maybe three people in there. And I see this one guy kind of notice me. Like, he's oh my God, that's Guy And then all of a sudden, he must have gone out and told people, hey, Guy Lafleur's in here. Guy Lafleur's in here. And all of a sudden, people start flooding a bar. Mind signing this. He signed every single one. And, and as he would do it, he kept telling the stories to Russ and me. Like, we were just trading stories. And he just kept signing it. Nice to meet you. And he'd keep going. He was, it was amazing. It's one of the coolest things I ever saw. He, he reminded me, Scotty, like, I, I've heard this comparison too. I think I heard it last week. Somebody said it. He's kind of like a hockey version of Paul Newman. You know what I mean? Just had that yeah, pizzazz. He, but he, he, he liked it. He, yeah, he was not, he, when I knew him, he was a very shy type of player. But after, after his career was over, and I got, I was very, because I had succeeded him a couple of years later, Toe Blake, and when, when Toe retired, he came, on, he traveled with our team in the playoffs and spent a lot of time with Toe, and uh, he, he pretty well put it in perspective, you know, when, it, when this would be now when Guy was in his prime, which would be the mid-70s, right till I left there in 79, 
And for those five or six years we talked about before, Toe had said to me once, you know, um, there's been so many great players in the NHL, and Toe actually started with the Montreal Maroons as a rookie. Yeah. And he was about 23, and he didn't play much in the playoffs, but the Montreal Maroons won the Stanley Cup in 1935. And mysteriously enough, the next year, they lasted two more years, two or three, but the next year, Toe to, uh, left Montreal Maroons and joined the Canadians. And uh, Howie Morenz had just come back in a comeback from, uh, he went, went from Montreal to Chicago, didn't do too well, went to the Rangers, came back to Montreal prior to his death when he got injured in 1937 at a young age. And, and Toe played with Howie Morenz a little, just maybe one year. And, in, and that's the comparison Toe said that um, for his career, playing back to the mid-30s, Howie Morenz, if you were a hockey fan and you watched him play, he's a guy that any fan in any rink would be pulled out of their seat watching him play. He was that spectacular. And then he said, uh, the only other players I compare him to, he compared him to um, the Rocket. He said when the Rocket came came on the ice and took plays at pucks in the, in the uh, offensive zone, uh, he just, you know, and then Guy, and I saw an interview the other day with Dick Irvin Jr., who, who, who did our broadcast, and he said the same thing. And then uh, after that, he said LaFleur. Toe said, um, Howie Marins, he also mentioned Bobby Hull. He did mention him. He said that these were spectacular individual players. When they got the puck in their own end and they took off, because that's probably the difference in Lafleur than most players in the league. And I'm not comparing players because one was a forward, one was a defenseman. But when you think of a Bobby Orr, uh, and you, people wonder how what kind of player was he? Well, I mean, all I remember about Bobby Orr was. Uh, He'd take the puck behind his own goal, and he's gone. I mean, it's you know, I, Connor McDavid does it on occasion now, because they have that accelerated speed when they start. And Bobby Orr was like Guy Lafleur. As soon as they got the chance to carry the puck, they they carried the puck more than most players in the NHL. Because back in the in the days of the 60s and 70s, the puck was moved defense to defense to wing to center. But there, the odd guy would be like an Orr or a Lafleur. They take right. the puck, and you know, team the, the other team is scrambling to get back. And even on the goal that he scored in '79 to tie the semifinal series in Game Seven, like he he started in his own end and he was in full flight. He just made it to the blue line to get over to make it onside. Otherwise, it would have been a two-line pass. And then he, you know, that play that he made to event, uh, to Jacques Lemaire was really on, if they had a review of, of the blue line, Jacques was just about at the blue line, maybe even close to going over when he got the yeah. puck on his stick. Don Cherry still took, says he did. <laughs> well, I mean, it was close. And he, yep. took, he took two or three strides, Lemaire, and by the time he made the strides, Lafleur had skated from his own blue line to inside the Bruins blue line. And I think it was about a 40, 40, wow. 35, 40 foot shot. So, you know, if you look at the acceleration, I mean, that, that would be a, the play that I always can recall. 
and you don't remember it when it happened. But you see the play, the review now, and uh, it's amazing. You know, it's the, to me the two goals that they keep repeating, and and we didn't see it for a long time because uh, I was in St. Louis when Bobby Orr scored. I was coaching the Blues in six in seventy, and I bet you that that picture. I never saw that picture till the late nineties, and wow. uh, and, uh, and uh, I remember talking. I still talk a little bit to Glenn Hall. We never talked about that, but Glenn Hall, according to what Bobby Orr said, Glenn Hall would meet him later on and say to Bobby Orr, uh, is that the only goal you ever scored? <laughs> because, yep. you know, um, the two the two most, I mean, the two, two most viewed, uh, say, uh, videos I've ever seen of the NHL players would be the 70 goal by Bobby Orr to win the cup for Boston. And yep. the, the conference final goal, that wasn't a Stanley Cup goal final, but it was to get us in the finals, the goal against uh, Boston. Yeah, it's funny, going back to Russ, Russ uh, had one of his friends it was really into the memorabilia and get, you know keeping all the photos and souvenirs over the years. And he told Russ, he did a study, and this was... This was about five years. No, this was this was two thousand. It was right before Russ died. He told me that um, it was in the two thousand nineteen Stanley Cup final when they played St. Louis. You know, so it was kind of like everybody kept talking about nineteen seventy, and they said that is the most signed photograph in sports history of that goal. Not just hockey, sports history. <clears throat> because everyone, I mean, you go around Boston, guys. I, I'm telling you, you go to any bar in Boston, that's on the wall. It, and you know for. I can tell you from 70 to mid 90s, it, it, it didn't appear much. I mean, it, right. all of a sudden when it's, I would say it's been appearing now from the mid 90s and we're talking more than 25 years ago. Crazy. In the first 25 years, uh, nobody, nobody worried about it, you know? Yeah. Marco, you, want, you got anything? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I, I just, I would listen to these stories just all day. Um, I think there was one thing that we were, we were discussing uh, during the ceremony right before puck drop. There were a lot of legends in the room. Uh, we mentioned three quarters of them during this podcast. Um, and I think, you know, Yvonne Cornway said it best is that um, Guy Lafleur exemplified what it meant to, to play for the Montreal Canadiens, having dreamt of wanting to play for them, having played for them, having represented them once he finished playing. I wanted to get your take on this, uh, Mr. Bowman, just basically, uh, you know, what do you think, he appreciated the most about being a Montreal Canadian when he was under your tenure? Well, um, naturally growing up, I'm sure growing up in Quebec uh, and, you know, it was kind of like he, um, uh, Jean Belleville played for a team called the Quebec Citadels. Yeah. But the, 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 the team that took over from the Citadels were, was the Rompars. So like, and, and you know, it's very comparable because Jean Bellevaux came from a small town, Victoriaville, and uh, went into Quebec City, and that's where he made his name with the juniors and then with the Aces. And, and that was another thing about Lafleur coming into Montreal is don't forget, uh, Jean Bellevaux played two years senior hockey after he was finished junior and uh, with the Quebec Aces, which was a good league as well. Played a couple of seasons. Uh, one year, he he played five, uh, three games and scored five NHL goals. But when he started with the Canadians, he was just, he was 22 years old. 
and then Guy started with Canadians when he was 20 and he didn't he didn't play senior hockey like Bellevue when he when he left the Citadels and went to the Aces and didn't didn't sign in the NHL I mean everybody knew how great he was I mean he people that saw him play could say that this this is an NHL player for sure and Guy, Guy came up in Montreal so they very similar backgrounds I'm sure coming up uh, Guy was a Montreal Canadian fan he wore number four with the wrong yeah. players that was his number in 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 his hero was Bellable and uh, most likely with the struggle that he had at the first I would say three seasons a, a struggle for a first round pick uh, now it wouldn't be the same but he uh, Bellable would probably have taken a, a, a lot of interest in in a, a, a Guy I never mm -hmm. talked to him about it but I'm sure Guy appreciated the fact that Jean Bellevaux had been retired and was in his corner trying to, you know, say, look, time will take care of everything. And because I, I know, I know the way it works in Montreal, because when I was coaching and we got a lot of young players in that span between 71 and 75, because we, the year we drafted Guy Lafleur, number one, we drafted Larry Robinson. Uh, I think uh, at the end, uh, well, it was the first was a early second round in those days because there wasn't a lot of teams. But you know, there was a lot of young players that came in to Montreal, and uh, and a lot of them. I mean, you can you can look back at uh, Steve Shutt's career. You can look at Bob Gainey. He 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 traveled around with. I don't know why, for some reason, other teams were sending their players to the American League. But whether it was the Sam Pollock working with the agent, I don't know. But I was a coach, and we would have three or four of these young players, and they would come with our NHL team. And they, but we didn't, you know, we're trying to, we're trying, we've got a lot of other players, and uh, they didn't play much the first year, uh, as I mentioned. And uh, and Toe Blake would come into the dressing room, say they were dressed for the game, played maybe half a dozen shifts. Yeah. And, uh, you know, everybody's in their first round picks. People know about them. And Toe would come in and, and uh, I, I, I never uh, knew about it till later. And he would say to the guys, you know, be patient. Your time is coming. Uh, it even happened to Ivan Cornway because I was in Montreal when Cornway played junior hockey. And he just lit up the Ontario Junior League with the, with the junior Canadians. And he came to the Canadians, and uh, the first year, they didn't play him. He played on the power play. He never, he never played regular. He, he had a whole season of watching the Montreal Canadiens play, and, and Steve Shaw had the same thing. He played a little more, but when you think about it, when Lafleur started with Montreal, people wonder what happened. Well, there's not nothing really happened. Yvette Cornway was scoring 40 goals. He was a number one right winger. He was in his prime. If you look at Ivan's career, he yep. started around 65, and now we're only talking five or six years later, and he's and he's winning cups and he's winning cups uh, 60, 68. I think when he first started in 65, they won a cup. 66, uh, he, he won it in 68, 69. They they uh, you know so I mean. Um, Lafleur, Lafleur, uh, you know, when you think about it, we also had Rajan Houle. Rajan Houle was a an early draft pick, 
who was who was able to become a, a good shadow. He played against Bobby Hull. Bobby Hull was a great player in those days of Blackhawks. They were one of the better teams. Blackhawks, Bruins, Rangers, and then Philly a little bit later, and Montreal was playing against those teams. And and uh, when you think about it, uh, you know they they were they were uh, Guy comes in and he's got to go against Phil Esposito's great faceoff guy in Boston. Bobby Clark was always one of the best in the league. Uh, Jean Rattel was in New York. Stan Makita was in Chicago. That's probably what happened. He, he, he couldn't get face-offs. I mean, if you're a rookie coming in the NHL in the last four or five years, and you're playing Boston, and you're a centerman, 20 years old, and you're going up against Patrice Bergeron, yeah, and your your record is like two and eight or two and ten or something. It's not easy for him. Uh, so I, I I can see the transformation with Guy. It was too much to play center in the NHL. Jacques Lemaire and Pete Mahovlich were already Stanley Cup winners with the Canadians. Yeah, they were centermen, and they weren't going to change. Uh, we weren't going to leave them uh, ice time. It's really a tough time for him. But uh, you know, that's we, a good had, lesson, we had. Though. That's a good lesson. That's a good lesson for the kids coming in today. Eh? I mean, because yeah. the league's gotten more skilled again, and and we, I, I'm sure you you see it all the time, Marco. I see it with fans on social media saying, "Why won't they play the young kids? Why give them more time?" It's 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 a project. It's it's a marathon. Yeah. It's not a sprint. If, and if he's, if, he's a, if he's a centerman, like the Blackhawks, I don't have much to do now with them but i i know one of the players they drafted hasn't come around an early pick kirby duck is kirby duck yeah and, you know his biggest problem is 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 uh face-offs are in the 30s 30 percent and you know he hasn't been able to he hasn't been able to uh and, and maybe even more so now because possession you know when we see in the overtimes and that Face-offs are so important that yeah. if you start, if you start with the puck, it's hard now. If you have the puck and, and you're you got a skilled team, and the other team is trying to get it off you, you're getting those hooking penalties, you're getting the stick penalties, and yep. possession. So a team, a team that's going in the playoffs with a good edge on face-offs, to me, it's got a it's got a hang of an advantage. Yeah, and and we're going to see it next week. You're going to see it. Yep. Uh, these teams that that have a good edge on the faceoff dot, and uh, Kirby Doc's a best best example. He hasn't developed yet, and one of the problems that they, they that they see with him is that he's uh, he doesn't get faceoffs. And yeah. I mean, they want him to be a center, but I don't I don't know if they're ever going to be able to do that. No. Yeah, I'm with you, Marco. Yeah, well, we were talking about that with Nick Suzuki in Montreal for the longest time because he was, yeah, yeah. yeah he was a forty, he was forty percent on the dot up until recently. Now this year, he's worked his way to forty nine percent, almost fifty percent, and it it shows because he has more possession. And Kirby Doc is a possession center; like he needs yeah. the puck on his stick. So does Suzuki. And now that he has the puck on his stick more often, all of a sudden he's at a point per game pace over the last 35, 40 games. So I a hundred percent agree and. I think, you know, Jimmy brought up, uh, you know, the patience and, and you talked about bringing a lot of youth uh, in the 70s. I mean, I counted, I think, 15 first round picks in four years. Um, so when it comes to Montreal, I guess, 
you know, they're they're going to have a younger team. They're going through kind of a, a retool, a rebuild. Um, you know, when you see players like Nick Suzuki, Cole Caulfield, do they do they remind you of, of the young players that that you had under your tenure? And 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 how would you go about positioning patients in their development? Yeah, the, the toughest part, the, the temptation when you get good young players, if your team, I mean, wins and losses are still the one barometer for it, doesn't matter what team you're with. And when you get these young players and the team is not strong and, and they have to suffer through the growing pains of being a young player, I think it's a lot more difficult for those players. The time will take care of itself, but until the team gets uh, to be able to win two out of every three instead of one of every three it, it's going to take time and 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 those players they lose confidence and uh, you know i think it was easier uh, it was tougher on the individual player but easier to join a winning team when every time like you're you're just an, another player trying to make it but now when these young players start in montreal and they're going to get these young draft picks. The pressure goes on them, and it's it, they they're going to have to know that if the team isn't winning, it's going to be a focal point, and it's not easy. Yeah, especially in that market. I mean, what do you think of Nick Suzuki as a player, Scotty? Oh, he's he's a. I mean, you know, for his size and 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 that. I mean, he was a he was a. Uh, you know, uh, um, we all know that. Las Vegas got in the finals the first year, and maybe that's the worst thing ever happened to them because the, the bar is so high. Yeah. And and uh, I'm sure they knew he was going to be a player, but at the same time, you get when you get in the finals, and you one of the worst things that happens to teams is when you get into the Stanley Cup finals and one team wins, you know, it's there's nothing worse than being in the finals. And you're you're now you're now like a second loser, you know, really, or yeah. first loser, you know. You, would know. you and, and that that's what I think uh, happens, you know, with with, with these teams uh, that uh, you know Suzuki. There's a lot of pressure goes on a young player, but he's he's he started to have a tough time uh, at the at the beginning of the year, but if the team gets better. He's not. It's going to make it a little easier for him. So it's not easy for young players to join teams that have a tough time winning. And and because I don't care what kind of players they are, if they're good players, they want to win. And uh, and uh, and you know that's something they. That's when you need to get, like you know, it's hard to build a core. The hardest part now is to build a team on draft picks. It, it, you you're going to draft and you're going to. I mean, you look at teams like Detroit now, they're in their seventh year. They finally got their, their hands on two really good young players. They have some in the pipeline. But, you know, uh, you, you, you also have to draw some free agent players. I mean, Detroit's a good example. They, they've got a lot of cap room, but they don't want to give. When, you, when you're going after these free agents, uh, especially when they're, say, in their or late 20s or early 30s and they they the one thing they want if they come from a good team yep. they want to win and they want to get term and mm -hmm. and a lot of these teams got to be careful because if you start giving a 31 32 year old player five years yeah you you've got a good player for two or three 
how are you going to improve to the last two years? You're going to have a player that can't play anymore. And so, you're going to have that cap. So for, yeah. I think the I think the retool and the rebuild is so difficult that uh, probably have to sit down with uh, with uh, Gordon, who did it with the Rangers. I mean, he was there when they you know they made some tough trades. I mean, mm. imagine they traded Ryan McDonough. I mean, right right now they would love to have Ryan McDonough. I mean, he got a good team anyway. The yeah. Rangers have rebuilt their defense, and they you know signing Truba and getting and getting uh, their hands on on Fox. They got a pretty and they on K Andre Miller is a good young defenseman. Yep. So maybe you could say they're not missing McDonough, but they they have to make some tough trades. They have mm -hmm. to trade good players, but they the replay the the ones they got back maybe not as much as McDonough. But you know they they did it with signing free agents, you know like Panarin. They they got some of their own young players coming in now, and I think that's the way that you have to do it. You, you're not going to do a rebuild on all young. You you are not guaranteed to to be like there's the first or second pick overall you want to get, but right. you don't even have that guaranteed because there's a lottery, mm. like Montreal. Montreal and Arizona, I think they're tied or something. But yeah. uh, I don't even know what the situation is this year. I heard it's this one player, uh, Shane Wright. But uh, I don't know how good he is, but I don't watch those players. But I I can see that it, 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 Montreal or, or Arizona, one of them is going to probably get the number one pick. Maybe maybe there is a number two pick too. But yeah. like you, you, you know, you, you look at Buffalo, that's the best example. They missed out on McDavid and they missed out on Matthews. I mean, they got players. They got Eichel and they got other players, but they're not McDavid and they're not Matthews. They're generation type players. I mean, they may not come around. You may not get a may not get a Matthews or a McDavid for ten drafts. You know, we don't know that. I mean, or next year. So, uh, uh, yeah. Pardon? Well, they could get the kid. The guy next year is supposed to be pretty good, eh, Connor? Connor. Connor Bedard. They yeah. always say that the guy next year is going to be. <laughs> but no, I know what I know what you're saying. Uh, yeah. the, the scouts feel that way, but it's it's a tough. I don't think you can rebuild. Um, I mean, you got your fans to worry about. If you're gonna if you're gonna say we're gonna have a lousy team for five years, I don't know how you. I mean, it'd be interesting to see. You're gonna you're gonna see it happen in the next two three years because the one team that's that, that hasn't tried to hide it is Arizona. They got yeah. a ton of picks. I, I don't know how many picks Arizona yeah. have, but it's it's a many, many, like it's like nine picks in the first three rounds or something yeah. the next couple of years. But, um, you know, are they, gonna, are they gonna have enough, are they gonna be able to stay in business and have a decent team till they get all those guys playing? I, I don't know. You know, it's interesting you, we talk about this, right? Because what was one of the things that the said already? He's on record is already saying we are going to be active in free agency. And I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking. Is that Montreal? About Montreal, yeah. And I think it's because, Scotty, you, you brought up a good point. You can't just have all these young kids. Yeah. You have to have some kind of sort of, you know, middle core there, of, you know, 25 to 30-year-olds yeah. that can – that can mentor these kids and, and take off some of the pressure for them. You can't just put it all on them at once like that. Well, so, yeah, just you know, you you th that. thinking of the Lafleur years too, um, you know, um, the best teams in the early seventies 
And Montreal, when they won the cup in 71, they were the third best team during the season. They weren't, they weren't even the first two. But the, the, the thing, when they got all those young players coming in, they still had back from winning teams. They had Lapointe and Savard. Dryden had just come in. I don't really count Dryden because he, he just came in that one year. They had Lemaire and they had Cornway. So they had four fairly good young players. Uh, there weren't enough to carry them. But it, it definitely, as you look in time, as these young fellows like Lafleur and Robinson and Shutt and Ganey and Riceboro, they, they wouldn't have been able to be as successful had Lemaire, Cornway, uh, Lapointe and Savard not been great players for them. You know, they, they were now in their mid-20s, mid-28, right. 29. And um, that's what you need to do. And yet to be a destination uh, is, is something. Maybe Montreal, with the fact that uh, there's a lot of history going back to the Rocket and then Bellevue and now Lafleur. This thing with Lafleur, I'm sure that ceremony they had and they're going to have more ceremonies uh, for for next week with a, the viewing and the funeral. And if you're a young player in Montreal, and you got the feel, I mean, I'm sure those young players that are oh, yeah. are, are going to make it with Canadians. Marco wrote next, about this. Yep. They're they're going to. I mean, they they got they they got enlightened by how how popular they never saw Lafleur play, and they you know they they, and, they, and they, they didn't. Pardon? They can understand it now, though. Now they, they, they've seen yeah. it. They've seen yeah. this ceremony of fans cheering for 15 minutes for a, a man that's 70 years old that passed away. And um, that may help them, you know, because when you have tradition on your side, it, it, it makes it a little... It's never easy. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm anxious to see the dynamics in the next five or six years for all these teams that are right at the very, there's about five teams at the bottom now. They're at the, you know, rock bottom. And, and, and you see it by the standings. And, you know, like even, even a team like Buffalo, they've had a tremendous month and a half. Uh, they're going to end up with maybe nearly 80 points. Yeah. Now, uh, you still need 98 points or six, 96 <laughs> to make the playoffs. That next eight wins is, is going to be, and, you know, when you look at a team like Buffalo or Detroit, I mean, they got some young players, and I'm sure they're going to make a good dent. But you got, you got, um, if you think about it, you got Tampa, you got the Panthers, you got Boston, you know, yeah. you, you got, you got some, you, you got some real Toronto. These are not, a, I mean, there's some young players on these teams. So it's, it, you, you know, how do you catch, how do you, if you're Detroit and you're Buffalo, how do you catch up? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think Boston's going to go down a bit. I think it's inevitable. I, I feel like it's – but you know what? I've been saying that for a couple of years now, and, you know, the well, still – Well, the game. If Bergeron Boston, leaves, it's a whole different ballgame. But, Jimmy, Boston played a game in Tampa. I go to all the Lightning games. Oh, yeah. They played a game that's about Friday two, night one, weeks right? ago. Yeah, two or three yeah. weeks ago. And um, they didn't – you know, they, they, they surprised people. But the two players on the team – the two players on the Bruins that year, that game, and I don't see them play a lot, that, that impressed me because it went into a three-on-three. -three. Yep. Taylor Hall, Taylor Hall, and I saw him play four years ago when he was in Jersey and they got beat by Tampa. And he was a one-man gang. He won the Hart Trophy that year. 
and Taylor Hall and DeBrusque in that game against Tampa, and Tampa has quality players up front, especially, yes. you know, when you go through all these guys. They were right there. Like, yeah. when, you know, when you really, you, you can judge players now when you get to three on three. Yep. When you get to the three on three, you see you see speed. You see players that that can have confidence to, to, to make the right play at the right time. Yeah. And they, I was impressed with Hall. And I was, because see, they made some moves that maybe a week or something. DeBrusque went in, uh, Pasternak went down with yep, Hall and, and Coyle. Yep. And and the other guy, DeBrusque went up with Bergeron and Marshall. So yep. they, they, didn't, they, they showed that line. Like they were not a one-line team that night. For one night, they had two yeah. lines, and if Hampus Lindholm, you know, you get if you got a defense, if you got Lindholm and you got McAvoy, and they're not that, they're gonna they're gonna get at least five, six great years out of them. They, mm -hmm. I don't know what else they got in the pipeline, but um, you know, they got they got something going. Yeah, so it is. It is. It's definitely hard for these teams, Marco. So wait, so you go to if you go to every single Tampa game, I, I did have one question in this regard. Sure. Were you at the last Montreal Canadiens versus Tampa game that went to overtime? I did, I did go. Yeah. Okay, so this is where I wanted to bring this conversation. Um, so this season has been very difficult for the Montreal Canadiens. And yeah. you know, since Martin St. Louis came on, they've had far more of a, a fighter's mentality, a comeback mentality. And that game was very much a comeback oh, yeah. game. They um, showed up to play the, the, that game. I don't. I didn't know any of the players, but the one player that I was watching because it was his first game, you know, he was even on the ice when it was three on three. Was Harris, Jordan Harris? I don't know much about him. He's a college player from North Northeastern. Northeastern. Yep. But I don't know where he is right. I mean, is he still playing with Montreal or? Yep. No. Oh yeah, he's a rookie. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, but they came to play that night, Montreal. They they showed. I mean, I was waiting for them to really fold their tent. They didn't fold the tent that night. Uh, the, the goalie played a pretty good game. You know, I think it was uh, uh, Josh Allen that night. He yeah. kept them in. And, and that was a, that was a, yeah, that, that, that's a game that, that Montreal could look back on and know they did show up to play that game. But they got to sort through a lot of players. Yeah. yeah. Funny you bring that, uh, you bring up Harris there. I mean, it, Marco is really well, he knows a lot about all the prospects coming up. And that's one guy that Marco's been waiting for for a while. And he, you know, I, we know, I know, uh, you, you must know Jimmy Madigan, right, Scotty? I know him very well. From yeah. Exactly so, where he's from. Yeah. So, I mean, he helped recruit him to Northeastern and uh, now Jerry Keefe's the coach there. But uh, this kid's good. I like him. I think he's going to be good. And they got a couple he, of. He, he had a good head on his shoulders that game. But the thing that I noticed that about his first him, game, right? Foot yeah. speed. Yeah, no, that was his first game. Like he, 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 he didn't take a back seat in that. They put him on the ice. They had him on the ice three on three, which I was wow. shocked. But they had two rookies. Justin Barron. Then they yeah. had another kid. There was a scuffle, a scuffle, and near the end, and this kid Barron, I don't know where he came from, but I think from Colorado. Colorado. He he's a big, strong kid. He pushed, he pushed, pushed hard in a skirt, in a, in a, like a scrimmage, you know. And I said, they, they may have something with some of these young guys. Yeah. What do you think the job Marty St. Louis done, Scotty? It's not easy to go in. He's a positive guy. I think if, uh, you know, the NHL has su such great coaching now, but, you know, there's people in the, 
on the teams, it's not a one man show. And, yeah. and like, if you get a coach that's a, a motivator or one that's personable, and, and then you, then, then if he has to add a technician that can work with specialty teams, or you got somebody who can work with individuals. So you, you're talking about a, like people wonder why is there three or four guys behind the bench? Well, it's pretty hard to get somebody that's maybe good in all areas, you know? Yeah. So I think, I think the important part of coaching in the NHL now is the staff. Like there's some really, really experienced. It's hard to believe the experience of coach. I mean, like Washington's got Peter Laviolette. He's been a winner. You know, you got Barry Trotz. You got yep. Mike, you got uh, uh, Cassidy in, in Pittsburgh. I mean, uh, the young guy's done a great job. Uh, Rod Brindamore, he, he's, a, he's a terrific coach. I don't yep. know what his staff is like, but you know, there's there's a dozen coaches in the NHL for sure, more than a dozen maybe, that uh, if they get the right mix on the team, you know, there's some good coaches that right. are not head coaches and they're probably never going to be head coaches, but they're good tacticians. They're good with the defense core. I mean, I I saw it in Montreal because we, we were one of the first to have it. Maybe Philadelphia did too, but uh, I saw how much our young defense corps improved with Claude Ruel. He was a teacher on the ice. He loved to go on the ice after practice. He loved mm -hmm. to stay on. He didn't like he didn't like to give discipline to the players, but I had him as a, a really great teacher. He, if, I'm sure Larry Robinson would be one that comes to mind. He was a player that was going to be a good player, became a Hall of Fame player. I mean, give him credit. But Claude Ruel worked tirelessly with shooting pucks at defensemen, how they play the point, how they block shots in front of the net. And, you know, you get, you get coaches that are going to teach and you're going to get young players. They're going to get better. They'll buy in. Yeah, for sure. Mark, you want to do one more here? Yeah, I mean, I'm still, uh, I, you know, I want to guess I, to the point, bring it back to, to Guy. Um, I guess one of the last things that we touched on uh, basically was the uh, post-career uh, and what he did for the hockey community. So I guess I just wanted to get your final take on what you feel, you know, the biggest moment that you can remember of him uh, after his playing days were over, if you have any. Well, um, I haven't, I didn't speak to Guy for two years, uh, not, I mean, verbally, but I, I text to him quite a bit and I, I have it on my phone here. And I, 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 I this is a, this is probably the one memory and probably the most difficult part for Guy would be the last maybe two years. I'm not even sure about three, but the last three years, uh, knowing, knowing how personable a, a, a person he became, not been able to go and see people and talk to people. It must have been, it must have been just, uh, you know, not the way that anybody would want to do it. But I sent him a note, uh, just here's a, like, I, they put my name on the Verdon Auditorium with, uh, with uh, Denny Savard. And uh, I, I sent him a note. Um, I always sent him a note. It's funny because my birthday is September 18th and his birthday is September 19th. 19th. And I, oh. I always... So I, I said uh, in uh, last year, very happy for 
birthday for you, number 70. Sorry I missed you last week in Montreal at the celebration, because that was when it was at the Verdun. Uh, I said, all the best. And he said, see, I, I text, he texted me back right away. He said, thanks, Scotty. I'd love to go and have lunch with you guys sometime. That's my next ambition. Take care and wish you and your family lots of health. So then my last communication with him was on March the 9th. It's only, it's only uh, not even two months ago. Jeez. I said, Guy, congratulations on the order of hockey in Canada. I hope and trust I'll be able to see you in June at Niagara Falls for the induction because I live 30 minutes from there. Felicitations, Scotty Bowman. And he said, thank you, Scotty. I hope to be there too. That was on March 10th. Oh. So, you know, these are, these are tough, tough times, eh? you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's that, but that will, that will be on my phone forever. You know? Yeah. And that's I, mean, awesome. I think that's the, the tough part with Guy is uh, his last two or three years, you know, he, he, cause he was, uh, he wanted to be with people, mm. you know, that must have been the toughest part of all. I know some of the players went to see him. I do know that. I know Steve Shutt did. And I, yep. I understand Ivan Cornway and Serge Savard is very close to him too. But those were a close-knit group of people, Larry Robinson and even Ken, Ken Dryden's in Toronto. But they they keep up. And Dryden put it, you know, he said, and it's he's quite a writer, but he said, you know, when you're the best of the best, it's something. And that's what he referred to Lafleur as, wow. the best of the best, which was... That's 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 coming from a, a teammate, you know, and I, I but I, I, I just um, I wasn't able to speak with him, but I was always able to text and yeah, and right away. As soon as I text, he answers it, you know. Yeah, that's the type of guy he was. Well, you're the same way, Scotty. I always appreciate that oh, about you. Thank you. I'll tell um, you, Marco, sometimes I'll text Scotty and just ask him some advice or <laughs> what do you think of this guy and boom, right back. Yeah, so I. It's a good quality to have. I appreciate it. And uh, Scotty, we thank Thanks. you for joining us here today. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Marco. Bye. Thank right. you, sir. It's a pleasure. Bye. Have a good one.